Always a joy to be back in Silky. Good to see lots of familiar faces. For those of you who don't know me, my name is James. I'm a member of Trinity Church Sunderland. I did used to live in Silksworth long ago, just across the road. You can tell by my accent, I'm not around. From around here, uh, I came over to Sunderland about 16 years ago and uh, got married to a smoggy for my sins and uh, settled down for a couple of kids and uh, still here. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Big passage. We're not going to go through it, you know, word for word, um, that, that chapter, but that chapter kind of sums up uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, uh, it, it's written, it's, it's Peter's last will and testimony. Uh, he knew his days were coming to an end. He knew he would soon, uh, his life would soon come to an end. So this was his last letter that he was writing. And the big key thing with this letter that he wanted the believers to remember is, uh, is to remember Jesus Christ is coming back. That was the big key thing of the letter. I'm going to pick a few things out uh, in some of the other chapters as well. Well, let's pray, shall we, uh, before we come to hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak to us. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of being here with brothers and sisters in Silksworth tonight. And Father, for many of us in the room, it might have been a, a long day for us today. Please help us to not nod off. Please help us to uh, come expecting to hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak to each and every one of us in this room tonight. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit at work. Uh, pray, we pray that uh, your Spirit would illuminate the truth of your word to us and that we would indeed be doers of your word. Please be at work, Father, this night. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Well, tick-tock, the clock is ticking. Every year, uh, leading scientists around the world, they update the doomsday clock. It's a symbolic clock which indicates how close the world is going to come to an end. And when there'll be some sort of global catastrophe, well, midnight symbolizes the, uh, the end of the world. And the scientists, they either move the clock hand closer to midnight or away. And this year, it's been moved closer. We're now symbolically 90 seconds from midnight, the closest it's actually ever been. So they do this because they want us to have the end of the world on our minds, the forefront of our minds, in the hope that it'll impact how we live now in light of what could happen in the future. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter wants us to have at the forefront of our minds here tonight, the last day in human history. He calls it verse 10, the day of the Lord. It's the final day of human history. That day will not come because of the polar ice caps melting or too many uh, plastic straws in the ocean. Important things they are. But it's going to come about by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes in final judgment, verse 7, judging those who have rejected him, but bringing also about a new heavens, a new earth, verse 13, for his people, the place where righteousness dwells. So this is not some sort of science fiction mumbo-jumbo. This is not something that only the wackos in the church believe. Known as the key doctrine in the Bible for all Christian believers. Throughout Scripture, there's over 250 references about God's return. In the New Testament, it has many different names. The day of the Lord, the last day, the day of the Son of Man, the day of Christ, the great day of God, the day of judgment, or simply the day. And in the early church, when Christians were hanging out together, it was very common for them to say to each other, Maranatha, Maranatha. That was an Aramaic expression meaning, come Lord Jesus, or he is coming. 
You see, the church had Christ's return on their minds. They talked about it. They looked forward to it. They sang about it. It impacted how they lived their day-to-day lives. But what about us? What about us here tonight? How often have we thought about Christ's return this week? How much have we spoken about his return to one another this past month? How has the day of the Lord impacted how we're living now in our day-to-day lives, in the present? We live in a world of only the here and now, don't we? Just focused on the here and now. And as Christians, that can rub off on us as well if we're not too careful. For in churches up and down the country, Christ's return is barely mentioned now anymore. In fact, in some churches, it's denied altogether. And it's the same in the Apostle Peter's day as well. People denying Christ's return. And just like us, the Christians there were in danger of not giving any thought to it and being led astray by those who denied it. So the big aim for us, Peter's aim in this there, is to stimulate or stir his readers, verse 1, as a way of reminder to keep verse 10, the day of the Lord, at the forefront of our minds and impact us now, today, our daily day lives as we wait for it. So we're going to see there's four things Peter wants us to do now as we remember Christ's return. It went all out, not the standard two or three pointer. Four points for us tonight. The first is to remember to be on guard Okay, has to be on guard against those who deny Christ's return. Second, remember God's word. That's the antidote to the lies they tell. The third, remember God's timing. God will keep his timing, not ours. Finally, we'll remember to grow because we're going to the place where righteousness dwells. So as we remember Christ's return, let's first consider we're to remember to be on guard. You may have seen the new Channel 4 comedy show. It's called Everyone Else Burns. Uh, it's about an ultra-religious family who are part of some sort of Christian sect. Uh, the Guardian love it. They gave it five out of five. They loved it. They said it's the extremity and perversion of Christianity that the show has in its sights there. They love it, so they do. Now, of course, the, the, the characters in the show, they do not resemble true Christians. But Christianity's claim that one day God will return is a constant source of mocking in the show. Now, that's not a surprise to us, is it? We don't need to be a Christian for long to expect people scoffing about Christ's return. Just go into the workplace tomorrow, say to your colleagues, friends, Jesus is coming back someday, and just look at the reaction they will give you as you stand up and say that. You're going to get laughed and mocked at. We know that. We expect that. However, Peter is warning us specifically against scoffers that come from the most unlikely of places. Look back with me at chapter 2. Do have a look back at chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. So here's the unnerving thing about these scoffers. They come from within the church. Peter wants us to be on guard against those from within our own ranks. Now, they're not of the church, but they do come from within. So they appear at first to be genuine Christians. They talk the talk. They look the real deal. Yet they are, if you like, an enemy within. I know you guys have been in Acts recently. I'm quite nosy. I know you've been in Acts recently. In Acts 20, you might have got there already. The the Apostle Paul speaks of them when speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men, speaking twisted things 
to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, says Paul. It's very unnerving, isn't it? They come from within. Now look again at verse 1 of how they operate, as if it wasn't bad enough already. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. It's not like they're just going to announce themselves. You know, they will sup here some Sunday. You know, hello, Calvary Christian Fellowship. Good to see you all here this evening. Uh, uh, do you mind, as a false teacher, can I come up to your pulpit here and, you know, and lead your people astray? You know, that doesn't happen. No wolves amongst the sheep do not make their intentions clear. Peter says they secretly introduce this destructive heresy. Furthermore, Peter says many will follow their deprived conduct, verse 2, and bring the way of truth into disrepute. These guys are not going to be loners. Many will follow them. Verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. They make up stories. If there's something in the Bible they don't like, they twist it or abandon it or just make up their own. Like Christ's return, they abandon that. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. Scoffers come in the last day scoffing, following their desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Where is he? Where is the promise of your Jesus? And they argue, verse 4, but it just goes on as it always has. Well, their argument is that the world will just carry on as it always has. The same old, same old, you know, eat, sleep, repeat. So they deny the day of the Lord. So step one, the false teachers, they twist the scriptures. They overlook the word, it says, verse five. So the authority of God's word, that's the first domino to fall. Don't you just love it, pushing those dominoes down? You know, as a kid, you put them all out. Okay, so the first domino that falls over is they reject the euphoria scripture. The apostolic gospel are like, nah, not having it. So that falls over. The next dynamo to fall is Christ's return, therefore a future judgment. Because if Jesus is not coming back, if they reject that, say it's not happening, that means there's no future judgment. So that domino is the next to fall. And then if there's no future judgment, well, the next dynamo to fall is sin. For sin just doesn't matter because there's no consequence of one day being judged for it. So the dominoes are just falling down. And so chapter 2, verse 10, they indulge in a lust of their passions. They have eyes full of adultery, verse 14, 18. They entice with sensual passions of the flesh. So you want to have sex outside of marriage? Sure, go for it. Uh, Same-sex marriage? Yes, go for it. Hooray, that's fine. Abortion? Sure, your body, your choice. That's fine. You want to sleep around? Go for it. That's fine. Your body, your choice. Those, these things don't matter. See how the dominoes fall? From the first step of rejecting, overlooking the word of God, and then all the other dominoes fall. Now, the good people of Calvary Christian Fellowship, you're just like Peter's readers. You're established believers, okay? Peter's readers were not stupid, and I know you're not stupid. Yet, Peter still sees the need to warn them to be on guard to this. So let's not be naive. Let's take this seriously. The elders here at Calvary, you need to be constantly guarding this pulpit, you need to be guarding this pulpit. The church family need to be constantly on guard to what's being taught from this pulpit. And I'm going to go off script for five minutes, if that's okay. I've not wrote this down. Is it okay if we go five minutes over? Give me a nod. So I'm just trying to think, because you guys are established Christians, you're not, you're not stupid. You're, you're, you, know, you know false teaching. So I'm trying to think, how could you guys be caught off guard? Well, I think there's, a, there's some blind spots that Christians in the northeast of England potentially have, and I say this having, and I'm adopted Macam, so I, I think I can get away with saying this. 
I think there's two blind spots we need to be mindful of here in Silksworth and Sundown. The number one blind spot. What's the number one idol in Silksworth and Sundown? It's not football, it's family. Family's the number one idol in Silksworth and Sundown. Family. And it's, it, it's a constant battle not to love our family more than we love Jesus. Okay, but many in Silksworth and Sundown they'll often love family over and above Jesus. That's a constant battle we face. That's the number one idol in Silksworth and Sundown. The second issue in, in the Northeast, in Silksworth and Sundown, is Mackhams don't like to travel far. Not just Mackhams, but Smoggies and Joys don't like to travel far, okay? Moving from one village to a village 15 minutes down the road, no chance, I'm not doing that. That's too far away, no way. Don't want to do it. Okay, and it's because of the tight-knit communities here in the Northeast. Okay, you just don't want to move, want to stay close to family, tight-knit, okay? So there's poten- these are potential blind spots, okay? So the false teaching comes in five years, ten years' time in the Calvary Christian Fellowship, okay? And you notice it. You're like, this is not a secondary issue. You recognize the rejecting the, the authority of Scripture. You see that first domino being knocked down. And so you say to perhaps your, your partner, we need to leave. We need to leave. They're rejecting the, the gospel here. They're rejecting the authority of Scripture. We need to leave. Leave? How can we leave? Our kids love it here. Our kids are in the youth group here. It's the best youth group in Sunday. They love it here. They get on with all the other kids here at church. They love it. They're best friends with them. How can we leave? Leave? How can we leave? My mom and dad helped plant this church years ago. They're now in their 70s. They're not going to leave. Leave? How can we leave? Your uncle's one of the elders here. That's going to cause a bit of a rift in the family, isn't it? And so for the sake of the love of the family, stay. And then drip, 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 drip. Over the years, the false teaching, just led astray with it. Or the other issue, leave? How can we leave? We just bought a house over in London Dairy Street. It's just across the road. It's just across the road. I'm not leaving. I'm going 15, 20 minutes down the road. Just live across the road. I'm not leaving. It happens. If you go into churches in Sunday where they are now are accepting false teaching, the old guys, the old ladies who are there, you ask them. They've stuck about because of family or because they lived across the road. They didn't want to leave. That's the blind spots that Calvary Christian Fellowship, that, that the northeast of England, but we have to be aware of those blind spots that could be exploited. We're to be, we're to be on guard here against these scoffers at all times. And their next point were to remember God's word. So verse five, the scoffers, they've deliberately forgotten that by God's very word, the heavens and earth were created. They choose to overlook the reality the earth came into existence by God's own words. But Peter is saying, look, don't doubt the power of God's word. After all, it was the same word that brought about creation. That's the same word of God that's also brought destruction on the world in the past. That's verse 6, the floodwaters in Noah's day. Now, uh, Ricky Gervais, in one of his live shows, he uh, brings out the book he had as a kid, the book of Noah. And uh, in his show, he lays into that story without mercy, scoffing at it, mocking at it, ridiculing it. It's hard. And he shakes his head at disbelief that he wants to believe the story of Noah to be true. He deliberately overlooks the truth of God's word. I can imagine it was the same in Noah's day as he built the ark, people scoffing at him as he did that, laughing at the thought of a coming judgment. Well, the waters did come as God said by his word, yet Noah and his family were saved by God's word. They trusted his word. So you see, the word that created all things in the past also brought destruction in Noah's day and the floods. And so here's Peter's point. Stick with me. Verse 7. 
by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the same word that made the creation is the same word that brought destruction in Noah's day. Well, that is the same word, friends, that has already spoken and promised a final judgment at the end of time. God's word has already spoken over the heavens and earth. So it's just a matter of time before it will happen. It's happened in the past. It is going to happen in the future. So we're remembering the word. That is the vaccine. That is the antidote, the defense that will protect us from the virus of false teaching that arises within the church. Now, those many bishops and ministers in the Church of England who have just recently voted for same-sex marriage blessings, are they remembering God's word? No, they're overlooking it. They overlook this future day of judgment. Most of them don't even believe that day is coming. And if the people in their congregations aren't on their God, on their guard and remembering the truth of the word, they're just going to be carried along with that false teaching. An older man in my church said the best bit of defense, advice he was given uh, when he was younger and how to deal with false teaching was not to learn about the false teaching and how to pick holes in it, but is instead to keep learning the truth of God's word. We need to immerse ourselves in the truth of the word, immersing ourselves in the Old and New Testament, submitting to the word, holding fast to the truth of God's word. Remember the word, it says Peter. Well, thirdly, Peter calls on his readers to remember God's timing. So the scoffers, they're arguing, look, where is your Jesus? Where is he? Come on, where, where is he? You know, he hasn't come yet. And they play on that delay, uh, you know, this so non-called appearance of Jesus. And it is a good question. It has been a couple of thousand years. You know, what is keeping him? The longer he doesn't return, the more they do have a bit of a point. Well, Peter knows this. And so the, not to be swayed with this, that he reminds us not to overlook this fact, verse 8, that with the day, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Peter here is quoting from Psalm 90. He's making the point that God, being eternal, has a different perspective in time than us. He can see the beginning of human history and the end. He's outside of time. He can, say, he can see both bookends of time at once. We think it's been a long time since Jesus has uh, come and went because it's been 2,000 years. But for God, it's just like yesterday, just like the day before yesterday. For him, it's just absolutely no time at all. So Peter, therefore, in verse 9, he says that we mustn't think God is being slow. He's not slow in keeping his promise. There is, in fact, a completely different way of viewing this time. It's not that he's slow, but rather God is being patient. God is being patient. So the scoffers overlook this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the reason for God's delay. He's given his people time to repent. Now, if you're a Christian here today, this should really humble us greatly. This should cause us to rejoice, our hearts sing with joy. He gave us time to repent and believe by his grace and mercy. As we await his coming. That's great, isn't it? Just think about it. I'm so glad that Jesus did not return when I was 22 years old because I was a scoffer then when I was 22. I praise God that he held sin in him back then. He's still patiently holding him back now so that sinners can come to repentance. There's still time. However, says Peter, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, notice. 
Well, Sarah, my wife, when she first arrived to study at Sunderland University, she went for a walk her first night here with her new flatmate, another girl, when unexpectedly and suddenly a thief jumped out in front of her and her friend with a knife. And he stole her and her friend's bags and their, their laptops and their phones all taken. My friend Toby with me tonight. Sorry, Toby, for mentioning this. He phoned me one day. He says, I just come out of my house. My car's gone. It's gone. Thief just took it. Sorry to bring that up, Toby. Uh, awful experience. Awful experience uh, to, to, be, to have a thief come and steal something. Because it's just, it happens so unexpectedly, so suddenly. And that's because the, the thing about thieves is they don't tell you when they're coming, do they? They don't give you a heads up. They don't give you a call beforehand. They come when you least expect it. And Peter's point here is, is that when we need to remember God's timing, specifically his timing of Christ's return, is that no one's going to be able to predict it, for it will just be sudden and unexpected. That day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, which is mind-blowing. But the Father only said Jesus himself. So picture the scene. You're in the bridges. You've just been doing some shopping. You pop into the newest Starbucks in the bridges. You get your skinny latte. You're still watching your weight after Christmas. You order your latte and you're waiting for it. And then the barista calls out your name and you go over to grab that latte. But before you can even grab it, suddenly and unexpectedly, Christ returns. You were expecting it. Totally caught off guard. There's been no heads up at all. There'd be nothing treading on Twitter that day. No hashtag day of the Lord. No Hugh Edwards in the BBC studio, you know, prepping us for his return that day. No, it'll be sudden, unexpected, like a thief in the night. So let's not be fooled by the naysayers who claim he isn't coming back. He's just left us, forgot about us. No, the end time clock is ticking. It's just none of us know when that clock will finally stop ticking when he returns suddenly and unexpectedly. And when he returns, look what will happen in God's good time. Verse 10, the heavens will pass away for war. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works are done and all it will be exposed. Let's not get caught up fully in the gritty there. It's just a picture of cosmic upheaval, a picture of universal destruction and the earth being laid bare, stripped bare, therefore nowhere to hide. All things are laid bare. It's a terrifying picture. The false teacher says there is no future coming judgment day. Don't worry about it. And so we live in a world where 125,000 babies are killed in the womb every day and nobody batters an eyelid. We live in a world where you think, oh, just watching a bit of pornography, it's not that too bad. It's fine. It's a world where when God shows up in the person of Jesus Christ, the world shouts, kill him, crucify him. For it's a world that lives with no fear of a coming judgment. But God will not be mocked forever. He goes by his timing. So remember his timing. It's not the same as ours. Remember that our Lord's patience means salvation for his people. And remember his coming could come at any sudden moment. Are you ready for that? Are we all ready for that day? Well, our final point for us, uh, Peter encourages his readers to remember to grow he ends his letter, verse 18, with an exhortation, a call for the Christians to, to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we're not just to be sat around on guard duty, you know, against the false teachers or twiddling our thumbs waiting for Jesus to come back. We're to be active. We're to be growing in our faith. You see, Peter knows there's our danger as we wait. We just begin to drift off. 
that we feel, well, I've reached a, a kind of certain level of comfort with my godliness, you know, certain level of knowledge of Christ, that's just about fine with me. I've read through my Bible now, that's enough for me. Become an elder now, that's just enough for me. You know, we just take the foot off the pedal and begin just coasting in our faith. But there's a danger then we plateau. But that means we're going then backwards, not growing. Well, think of the bride preparing for her big day. Often it can be years in advance. Uh, she makes a lot of effort for that coming day, doesn't she? She's waiting for it. She gets the dress. She books the wedding band, you know, sorts out the venue, sorts out the seating plan until the mother-in-law changes it. And that future coming day it impacts her life now as she's looking forward to that day. Well, Peter is likewise. He wants our big day when Christ, the bridegroom, uh, returns for us, his bride, the church, to have that day impact our lives now as we wait. So we're to make every effort as we wait, growing in our faith, in our godliness, in our knowledge of Christ through his word. Now, it doesn't matter who we are, what our circumstances are, the, the mom with three kids, the student, the elder, whoever we are, we're to keep growing, keep pressing on as we wait and remember Christ's coming. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge. Now, living lives of holiness and godliness is tough going in a world with much scoffing. We all know this. Uh, with the here and now focus, with the many temptations we have, it's tough going at times. And Peter knows that. That's why as we wait, he reminds us what we're waiting for. Verse 13, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, the battle of sin can be really tough going at times but one day it will finally be over. If we have no end in sight, we can easily just become fatigued and just give up. But when we remember there is a deadline, there is a coming day, it keeps us more vigilant, keeps us pressing on now to keep living for Christ, keep growing in him. And God has promised us this place where righteousness dwells. That coming day should far exceed any other day we're looking forward to here in our calendar. It's a place, as we finish, it's a place there's no more bad news, friends, no more bad news from the doctors, no more pain of any kind, no more suffering, no more tears, no more hardship. It's an eternal world where only righteousness dwells. It's going to be a home for the righteous who owe their very being there to the one and only man who had perfect righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's remember to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, remembering to be on guard against the scoffers, remembering God's word. Let's hold fast to that word. So many are given up holding to it. Let's keep holding fast to it. Let's keep remembering his timing. He could come back. He's being patient, but he could come back at any moment. So the clock is ticking. So as we wait and remember his return, we pray that short prayer found at the end of the Bible that prayer that's been prayed all down through the ages by God's people. We pray tonight, come Lord Jesus. Amen. And Maranatha, Maranatha.